Hey, y'all, I am so excited about today. We are jumping into Genesis, and uh, before I get in, I do want to give a shout out to Jonathan Carr. It's his birthday, so y'all, happy birthday, Jonathan Carr. And if you're joining us for the first time or if you're new, uh, I'm so glad that you are on here because uh, this series that we're starting, Genesis, it just makes sense to start at the beginning of the year, and I promise you this is going to be a different take than uh, what you've seen before, and I think it's going to speak to us even in the chaos of 2020 and 2021. So let's jump right in. And I want us to take our minds back to uh, the American past. And we don't know exactly what it was like back in the day, but we have this idea that, you know, things were, some of us have the idea that things were better back then, or at least that there was more peace, calm, people had their Bibles or whatever. But there was this, uh, there was a more of a chance that if you were growing up a hundred years ago, your family had a family Bible. Did any of y'all have a family Bible growing up? And you would have a family Bible. And the idea behind that Bible was not that it taught you everything. In fact, some families I know never even opened that you weren't allowed to touch that family Bible. But the idea was that that had wisdom in it, specifically how to, how to know God, how to live your life in honor of God, And it wasn't about information. In other words, they didn't take it to school 100 years ago and say, hey, this is how we're going to learn everything. But there was this idea that wisdom can be found in God's word. You know, now we have information everywhere. In fact, every one of you right now has information in your pocket that has boggled, would boggle anyone's mind from any other era. But one of the things we need to remember is there is a difference between wisdom and information. There is a difference between wisdom and knowledge, and we've got more information, more knowledge than ever right now, but what we need is wisdom, and that's why in this series, I'm hoping to draw you to a love of this book. I was going to combine two words there. Even if you in your mind have thought, you know what, Uh, we've got so much knowledge, we don't need uh, the Bible anymore. The Bible doesn't speak to us like it used to because we have more knowledge now. I want to challenge that today. And so today, we are going to look at Genesis chapter one, a story that even among this room, we've probably read this year, if you started a new Bible plan, you've probably already hit Genesis one. And in your mind, you think, I already know, I know what Genesis one is about. But here's the the problem with how most of us approach Genesis 1. In fact, I've I've talked with several people about this, and there's a frustration about Genesis 1, and that is for years and years and years, in fact, for over 100 years, for many years now, Genesis chapter 1 has been mistaught, not just by single churches, but by entire denominations, and to the fact where the questions we ask and the things we try to draw out of it make us miss the point. And what happens is that kids go off to college, and as a parent, you've probably had this fear of, how do I talk to my kids about Genesis? Because they're going to hear things here and there. Or maybe you have a friend you're going to talk to, and you don't even want to talk about Genesis 1 when you talk about the Bible or truth, because you, you, in your mind, you think, you know what, science has, has disputed this. I don't even want to get into it. And so here's what happens to most of us when we read Genesis 1. We find ourselves having to 
refute and reconcile the text with what we, some things that we already know. And it comes up with questions that we don't have the answers to as parents. We don't know how to talk to our kids about it. We don't know how to talk to our friends about it who aren't believers. And as you go into Gen- to Genesis, if you view this strictly as it's got all the answers, it's got science, it's got history, everything's in here, you're going to find some problems. You're going to see some problems today we're going to get into but you're going to see some other problems as we go through Genesis. I've already had some people ask, hey, where are all the people? How come in the story of Cain and Abel, which we get to in a while, how come Cain is afraid of all the people around him if he's the only other person, if there are only three people? And all of a sudden you begin to see, oh my gosh, that's, what does that mean? How are there already generations of people when he's the second generation? Today, you're going to find a lot of questions, and some of us approach this, is it 6,000, is, is the world 6,000 years old? Is it, is it a 24, did God create in six 24-hour days? Because you're going to find some problems. You're going to find some problems when you figure out that God created plants on the third day, but he didn't create the sun till the fourth day, and you're all of a sudden like, how, how do those, they had a day of just starving, you know what I mean? How, how, did, how did we have day and night on the first day, but then the sun wasn't made to the fourth day. Well, how do you even have day and night those days? You're going to see that even the understanding of what the universe looked like in Genesis is not what we would call scientific. And so in our minds, we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, the Bible, if I don't reconcile every one of these, the Bible is not true. And it brings kind of a fear of, puts us on the defensive. So today, Instead of telling you, you've got to reconcile this, I'm going to free you and I'm going to show you the, what I, I would say is the right way to read this text. And it is going to speak to you so powerfully. You're going to think to yourself, I wish I would have known this before. But here's what I know. Some of you grew up for a long time and you already think I've gone off the blasphemous edge. You think, oh my gosh, if he says that it's, it's, uh, evolution and all that. And I'm going to tell you, does the Bible teach evolution? No. Does Genesis 1 talk about evolution? No. Does Genesis 1 talk about how many days that God physically, literally created in science? I'm going to tell you, no. Does God uh, uh, want you to know some important things in Genesis 1? He, he is going to reveal to you some things today that I think you're going to, even those of you that have read this so many times, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. But here's what I want you to know. Instead of reconciling everything in Genesis with science and history, what I want you to do is I want you to instead think of this as a, genre, a new genre. In other words, the genre that we often try to read in this as we try to read the genre of uh, narrative, which is scientific, it's historical, but here's why that doesn't work, okay? If we look to this genre as a genre of a science book, which uh, would be uh, the wrong way to read this text, you're going to find that that's absurd, okay? And here's why. First of all, you'd have to be a chemist and a physics professor to even understand the chapter if God was writing us a science textbook, right? How many of y'all passed uh, chemistry on your first shot? Because I got to put my hand down. Because how many of you ever took chemistry 301? How many of you ever took physics? How many of you know about subatomic particles? When I took chemistry um, one or 101 in uh, 
college, which I failed. Um, the reason I failed it is because in high school, it was all about atoms and you had atoms and they had three parts. Y'all remember this, the electron, the neutron, the proton. And then you get to college and they're like, and they're actually subatomic particles. In fact, did you know for the last 50 years, we've discovered there's like 12 layers below the atom, right? That's a problem for me. And, and the problem also is that before that, okay. Now I want to show you a, uh, uh, a screenshot of an article that came out four days ago. And this is on your screen, hopefully, right now. This is an article where basically they have said either the theories we have about the universe are wrong or the math is wrong. Now think about that. Right now, with all we know, and the smartest scientist in the world, right now they're looking at all these theories of the Big Bang and everything, and they're like, wait a second. Either the math is wrong or the theories are wrong. In other words, what they're saying is, I don't know. And what they're saying is, in a hundred years, we're going to have a new theory or we're going to have new math. So here's what I want you to see. If God wrote this to tell us how he created, it would be gibberish garble to all of us. It would make no sense and it would have a lot of words. Do you know what an up quark and a down quark is? Because that's the latest science, okay? And it would have no meaning even to the smartest scientist in the world because science is always changing and learning new things and realizing that as Spurgeon said, if we are going to try to understand the mind of God, it is a gross absurdity for us to think we will go there. This is a, not a how-to. This is not a, a chapter about how. This is a chapter about who. So here's what I want you to know. Genesis 1 is not a historical narrative in the way that you have read many history books. It is a new genre that probably to you, it's something we don't see in any other parts of the Bible. It is a poetic narrative that is I mean, divinely inspired prose. Don't miss that. You're going to see that all today. But if you miss the poetry in this book, you miss an aspect of what God is teaching us. If you, if you miss the, the, the literary just genius of what God is doing here, you miss a lot of what's going on in this text, okay? So how should we read Genesis, if not a history from our perspective? How you read any book of the Bible is this. You start with who the Bible was originally speaking to. You have to go into the minds of the original author. This takes a little bit of work, okay? This was originally written to Israelites um, that lived about 400 or 4,500 years ago at the minimum, okay? This was during the time of the Exodus is when uh, this book would have been written, and it was written down about events that happened at least 1,000 years before they actually wrote it down. And so what, what's going on here is in the Exodus or later, okay, this is at least 2,000 years before Jesus, you have the people had just been freed from Egypt, okay? They, are, they were in slavery, now they're not in slavery. And they go out and, and, and they're encountering all these different cultures. They've been in one culture that's not theirs for 400 years at least. And, and, and for thousands of years, their moms and dads has been, have been passing down these stories. And Moses comes along and later Joshua, and they says, you know what we, they says, they said, we have to write these stories down. And they get some scribes and they, they take these stories. And it probably wasn't just one, it was, hey, let me, tell, let me hear how you heard it. Let me hear how your mother told. And they collected these stories and then these scribes edited them. And they edited them down in a poetic verse, okay? And you're going to see the poetry in here. And once you see this, you're going to understand 
It's, if you ever, somebody says, well, it's not historical, I would say it's better than that. If you know what, what they were doing to these people who have been in this context where they had been confused by the cultures around them, Genesis 1 stands alone and it, it is so powerful, okay? So it's 4,500 years ago at least when it was written down, another thousand minimum for when these events would have actually had occurred. And so there's been generation after generation. In fact, when the parents are telling the kids, they're not even thinking about, you know, how long ago did this actually, they're trying to tell their kids some things about God. Now, here's what I want you to understand about the culture. The culture had a lot of ideas about how things got how they were at the time. There was the, the Babylonian idea that you know why the heavens and the earth exist. It's because there was this evil god, goddess, Tiamat, and she she was bad and they, the other gods needed someone to help. And so they, they got this champion, Marduk, and Marduk goes and he slays the goddess Tiamat and he uses her body to form all of the different parts of the world. He actually separates her body out, takes her organs, and that's how he creates the world. You have the Egyptian culture, which has over a thousand gods. If you search a list of Egyptian gods, it'll be page two or three before you get past A, the letter A of the names of gods. And so if you go through, there's the, what they call the, the Oxdod, um, and that is basically there are eight gods, and these eight gods started everything, and, and, and they're paired together. So you have light and darkness. You have day and night, okay? And you have these, these pairings. So you have sky and water. And these, from these, they create, these gods create everything together, okay? And they create Amun-Ra. Y'all know who Amun-Ra is? If you've ever seen the documentary, uh, A Night at the Museum, have y'all seen that? You know, Amun-Ra is the most powerful god. The sun god is the most powerful god, and he's been ruling over Egypt. He's got all the authority. So having that context of all of these gods, you have another uh, um, idea at that time by the, it's called the creation story of Atrahasis. And it says that the gods were creating men so that they would be slaves. They could do the work that gods didn't want to do. All this is the culture. And from that, that's where we jump in. So let me tell you about God. In the beginning, this is page one, and I never get to do this. Turn to page one, no matter what Bible you are, turn to page one, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That alone I could preach for a, a whole series on. God, the word God here, Elohim, it's a plural uh, word, God. El would be God. Elohim is plural, but yet it's used in the singular. It's used uh, as, a, as a proper name. So there's already this, this mystery around this world, word. And as Christians, we know that's a loaded word. We know God, God is, is not just, it's not just uh, one person. We see this and you see this in the next verse, but it says this word created, barah. You only see this uh, three times in this chapter. Other, every other time you see the word, sometimes it's translated created, but it's gonna say made. So in other words, God creates from nothing. He's before time, he creates time. All these things, God in Genesis is outside of time and he creates the heavens and the earth and everything else is make. Humans don't create, humans make. God creates and you see that in Genesis one. It says the earth was without form and void. Some translate that chaos. Can you get an amen? The world was chaotic and, there, and, and the darkness was over the face of the earth and the spirit of God was hovering now think about this. God just created the heavens and the earth and now he's entered into creation. God enters into his own creation in Genesis verse, chapter one, verse two. We need to understand this, this idea that God is always is far away and he just decides one day to enter creation. God does most of his crea creating, not creating, it's making. And he's shaping this, this formless and this chaos. And there's an important reason of that. 
But I want you to already think what he's saying. Every other uh, place around them was telling them there are a lot of gods. There's fertility gods, there's sun gods, there's all of these things. And if you, and these other things are, are deciding what is important, okay? And so if you want fertility, you got to go to the fertility god. If you want a little more sunshine, go to Amun Ra. If you want a little more uh, rain, you go to the rain god. And you got to go to all these gods. And there's all these ideas. And this starts off with a unique idea that understand, had never been presented in any religion until this point. That is what is so powerful about this statement. The first time ever, it's not many gods, one God, and he created everything. This was a universal idea. I mean, a a unique, just transformational idea that that a little Hebrew boy would have been like, what? I've never heard this. Transformative. He entered into his own. Now, what I want you to see is the poetic nature. You're going to see as I read through this, you're going to see that he does three days and then he does three more days, okay? And so on the first day, he's going to create light and dark, okay? And he's going to combat, not just that he's creating light and dark, this poetic is showing you, first of all, the biggest Egyptian god of that pantheon, remember, light and darkness. Who created that? God created that. Second day, he's going to create the waters, okay? And that's one of those, the Leviathan was one of the, the Babylonian gods. It was a big sea creature. And then you're going to see on the third day, he creates uh, um, all the land and he pulls the land up and he creates the plants, but there's no souls yet. And what does he do in day four? Day one, he created the light and the darkness. Day four is going to, it's going to combine to it. And all of a sudden he's going to fill the light and the darkness. He's going to create the sun and the moon. Day five, day five is going to fill the seas. It's going to, there's, there's a, a poeticness here that you're going to miss if you try to just read this as a science book. And then, and, and then you're going to see in day three, he creates the land and then he fills the land. But what I want, as we read through this quickly, I want to just show you some things that's going to see how he's dethroning all of these ideas of who really runs the world. He's dethroning these gods throughout this story. God said, let there be an expanse that is sometimes translated firmament. I just want to point out that this probably comes from a misunderstanding of the universe. They, they, scientifically, they weren't at the same place we are now. You got to understand that. They, that word is solid dome. So what he says is, and they, they said, let there be an expanse or a dome in the midst of the water. So the idea was there was just all this water and God separates some water above and some water below. And they both have to have this hard dome on it. And so uh, when you look at the sky, why is it blue? They would tell you, ah, because it's water up there, okay? And they're not wrong, by the way. That's actually the right answer. It's just we understand it differently. And and understand it may not be that they were literally um, as ignorant either. They may have been using this, probably were using this just as a figure of speech, the way your grandmother might say, hey, the floodgates of heaven opened and it rained, okay? So it might just be a way that they're talking about this. But what I want you to see is it is not trying to show you how God created. You could not grasp how God created from nothing. No scientist could. But he creates, and he says, first of all, light and darkness, and saying, I created light and darkness. It was not an Egyptian god. They did not do anything. I have power over them. I named them. And then he says, this, the seas, how did the seas get here? I separated them. Um, god separated them. He says, God made the expanse, and he separated the waters that were under the expanse and the waters above, and so it was so. And he called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning. It was the second day. It says, and then God said, let the waters of the, under the heaven be gathered together in one place and dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together and he called them the seas and God saw that it was 
good. So if you've ever heard of someone praying to Mother Earth or worshiping Mother Earth, God, he smashes that to the ground and he says, listen, I created the heavens, I created the earth, I separated the waters. When there's chaos, I'm the one that ordered the chaos. Whenever there's darkness, I'm the one who brings the light. I am the one who governs and these other gods do not exist is what Genesis is screaming at us. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants yielding seed, fruit, bearing fruit in which kind and their, of which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, the plants yielding seeds according to their own kind and the trees bearing fruit. And each according to its own kind, God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And you see that there's this rhythm. It was good. Then there's the day, the evening and the, the, um, the day and the evening. And by the way, if you ever wonder why Jews uh, start their day in the evening, it's because it always says, and then there was evening and morning. And so that's why a Jewish, a Jewish calendar starts with evening to morning, because that's how God um, ordered it in the scriptures there. Okay, now the fourth day we get to, we get, man, my, my, I, I've gotten to go in old school rapper Joel today, okay? We get to, okay, when we get to the fourth day, he starts filling his creation, okay? And he fills it and he's dethroning gods. Let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night. It's already got light, okay? But now it's going to show you how to, he's going to fill it. And, and you got to remember, people were worshiping the sun god, the moon god. They were worshiping astrology, and they were trying to define, uh, define all from the, the stars. And so what does God do? Look at this. He says, let there be lights at the expanse of the heaven and give them light. And it was so. And God made two great lights. Now, does he name these lights in Genesis? Look at this. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Scientifically, we know the lesser light is not even a light. It's reflecting. Okay, but that's not the point. The point is, he says, I made these things, and he doesn't name them. Think about that. If you are, he's naming everything else, but he gets to these and doesn't name them. Why? Because they, he knows that the authors know, hey, everyone talks about raw. Everyone talks about the most important God is this sin God. God says, it, it's so subtle if you, but once you know it's there, you're like, God is so in control. I'm not even going to name the God you think so big. I made him in a day and it was an afterthought. It was, it was just something I was doing. And I didn't even do just that in a day. Raw is so unimportant to me. I'm not even going to name him. And not only that, I threw some stars in the sky and it wasn't, you know, you're reading your whole life by these stars is what he's saying. And, and he goes, I did that in a breath. My will did that. I didn't even have to move to do that. And I certainly didn't have to war with other gods to do this. It's so powerful when you understand what is happening. He's taken these ideas, everything somebody thought about God, and he's, re, he's redefining it. God said, let the, the, and so we get into the fifth day, let the waters swarm and the, with living creatures and the birds fly above the earth and the expanse of the heavens. And remember, one of the things they worship was the Leviathan and he, he names only one creature. He says, God created the great sea creatures, even the Leviathan, God created that and every living creature that moves and all the others, Okay. He goes out of his way to name the fact that God created the thing that you're scared of when you go into that water and you pray, hey, Leviathan, don't eat me, whatever they pray about that. Hey, he says, you don't need to be praying Leviathan. You need to understand there's a God that's so powerful. He created that. He needed, it, was, it was an afterthought. He did it with all the other stuff. He created the wing birds and God saw that it was, let's say this together, Good. That's the refrain. There's a poeticness to it. There's something that we, you know, there's this flow, this order that we see in this. And then there was morning, the fifth evening and morning, the fifth day. 
And this brings us to the sixth day. The sixth day, he says, uh, he's gonna fill the earth now. That's what he did. He created it on the third day, fifth day, he's, or, or the sixth day, he's gonna fill it. So he creates the livestock, the creeping things, the beast of the earth, according to their kinds. And it was so God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds. Everything that creeps on the ground and God saw that it was, but it's not evening yet. Then God said, let us make man. Y'all catch that? Let us, this plural is, is, I can't even go off on this, but understand he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's this mystery about this word. Jews would say one thing, but as Christians, we know there's a revelation that that explains why he had the foresight thousands of years before Christ to give us this plurality in the singularity of the name Elohim in our likeness, and let them have dominion. So he creates man, and he says he's creating them in our image, in the image of God. Man is special in this story. Let them have dominion over the fish, dominion over the sea and the birds and the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, creeping, uh, the creeping things of the earth. And then there's this other little poem within a poem, and it's set apart in some Bibles, it's in, but it's a refrain. It's something you can remember. God created man, and what's the Hebrew word for man? Anyone know? Adam. He's saying God created Adam. God created man, mankind. Understand that word, Adam, mankind. God created mankind, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. It's reflexive. And then he puts male and female, he created them. So Adam is this, and this is not talking about one man. It's talking about mankind. And and mankind is male and female. And there is this order that God has given. Now look at this. All the other gods at that time had this, um, almost every other uh, creation explanation from every other culture said that gods created men in order to be slaves, in order to do work they didn't want to do because they, or out of some anger or some um, conflict. Genesis 1 teaches a different idea about why God created. And God blessed them. He creates us and then he just blesses us. He blesses us. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the earth and the living things that move on earth. And you understand that in this one sentence, all of a sudden God gives us purpose. Hey, I want you to to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to, to subdue the earth, do work, enjoy your work. And it's a blessing. And he blesses sex. Sometimes we have this idea that, that sex is, is anti-God or that somehow God is not for it. But he says, listen, in the order I've created, when God is on the throne and you've dethroned the other gods, understand there's a blessing in your work. There's a blessing in your family. There's a blessing in sex itself. There's a blessing in all the things God is doing. I have given to you every plant yielding uh, seed in the face of the earth. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, every bird of heaven, everything that creeps, everything I've given the breath of life, everything with a soul. And I've given every green plant for food and it was so. And I want you to see that at the time, everyone's vegetarian. Did you know that? Everyone's vegetarian in Genesis 1. It's not until Genesis 6, after the flood, that we, that we start eating animals, okay? Everyone is a vegetarian and they like their Brussels sprouts. It's, it's supernatural that God made that happen, okay? Um, can you imagine? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. No. Yes. Now, here's what I want you to see. Now, look at this in verse 31. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was, it's not just good anymore. Anybody got the text in front of them? It's not just good now. It's very 
good. Mankind is in and God is pleased with it. He loves mankind. He created us and he gave us this purpose and these blessings and he loves it. He created you with a value and he loved it. And, and the creation's not over. Six days, but there's a seventh day. And the seventh day is in chapter two. Let's keep going. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God takes a break and he ceased from working and he blesses the seventh day and he made the seventh day holy. Most of us, when we think of God's, they make a temple holy. They make a, a, per, a person or whatever. God makes a time, a day holy because on it, God rested from his work that he had done in creation. Now, I want you to think about this. This is where the Jews get the idea of a Sabbath and they, they take off an entire day of work and, and they, because they're in the image of God, they do what God did. But I want you to think all about what that says when you take that day off. It's you dethroning every other God, including yourself as a God. You're saying, you know what? I have value. God gave me purpose and value even when I'm not being productive. How many of us live by that? How many of us say, you know what? If I, I had a day I wasn't productive, you know what? I still have value. Many of us we, have, we, we find value either in the things we're doing and the things we can accomplish, and we miss out that, that we have purpose. God just wanted to know us. He creates us with this love. And that's, when we read Genesis 1, it should draw us to this loving, powerful God who created every other thing. And in our lives, we have many gods. We have gods. It might be money. It might be power. It might be... Uh, uh, your drug may be drug, <laughs> drugs, you know, it may be alcohol, it may be an addiction, it may be sex, it may be something that you have taken and you have put as a God in your life. When in reality, it's just a creation. And what I want you to see is if you dethrone those gods, God has given us a blessing. He just wanted us to be. And when we read Genesis 1, if you read Genesis 1 on how God created, you miss who created and you miss what this says about God. There is no other God besides God. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and he owns it all. And so the question of how that we should ask is in light of the who that we've discovered in Genesis 1, how should I live? How should I respond? And this is life-changing. Genesis 1 is life-changing when you understand that the great dethroning has occurred in every other thing that we look to in this life to make order. The whole Bible is set by Genesis 1. It's a whole, the whole Bible is us trying to organize what God has already organized. It's us trying to redefine what God has already defined. It's us trying to put on the throne something that God has already dethroned. What I want you to see in Genesis 1 is who God is. There is nothing more powerful in this world, in this universe, than God. And so, what, where do we go from this? You read Genesis 1, and the first thing is, I hope you quit asking these questions that no Hebrew 4500, they, they had better things to ask at that time. I used to ask this question, what is the next step God is calling you to take? I think anytime you, you hit the word of God, you should ask it. What is the next thing? And I want us to start with, I want you to just begin asking, who is God? Who is this God that can speak into creation? Who is this God that, that can order the chaos? 
who can, who can see darkness and can just create light even without a source, even without a sun? Who is this God that is so powerful that whatever we have put up as this is the most important thing in life, we've got to have po- politics or power or whatever it is that, that rules this world. And God says, oh yeah, I did that as an afterthought. I'm so powerful when there was nothing. Time didn't even exist. I spoke it. And then I created the sun so that y'all, and the moon so that y'all would be able to count. But I didn't need them. So revolutionary. The question after you look at who is God, you should ask yourself, have I dethroned all my other gods? That's a question you should be asking. Right now, there's no better time because I will tell you half of the things we see on the news right now is somebody elevating something to a God that shouldn't be a God. And if we would just simply recognize, you know, I need to, in my own life, I need to recognize, I've put things ahead of this creator. One of my favorite quotes is this. If God doesn't exist, then nothing matters. And that's the truth. You'll die in 100 years and everything goes away, okay? But if God does exist, nothing else matters. Nothing else is going to matter in 100 years in your life if God, is, if God exists. Because there's things you can read into it. If he loved this creation so much, he created you and blessed you. There's got to be a reason for it. He wanted more for you. He wanted more than just 20 years if you're unlucky, 80 years if you are lucky. He wanted more for you. There's this, this kind of, you can read in this inference that God has so much planned for us as humans. We are in the image of God. Have I dethroned my God's? Have I lived out my Sabbath? Am I taking a day every single week where I quit doing everything that I have to do, putting myself as God, putting myself as the one that's going to make my life work? Is there a day where I just sit and I find that I have value even though I'm not doing anything today because my value came from God. My purpose came from God when he said be fruitful, when he said to to subdue the earth. I want you to see there's just a a value in you as a human simply because God created you in his image. Now, I also want us to think about this week. This week, uh, if you're watching this 10 weeks from now on your Peloton, working hard, okay, good for you, first of all. (laughs) But I also want to let this is uh, the the inauguration week for us. And I want us to just think about how this speaks. We have a God who didn't, he intentionally says that he separated likeness from darkness. And, and in other words, he's not saying, hey, I created the darkness. It's very, the text says he, he's organizing it. He, he's bringing order to, order to the chaos. And so when we look into a dark world or we see the divisions that are coming, understand when we read Genesis 1, we see not only a God who's in control of everything, but a God who can bring order to chaos, who can bring light to darkness. And so what we've got to understand is our call this week should start with this idea. Daniel chapter two says it uh, um, very explicitly. It says that God sets up the seasons and he dethrones kings and he puts new kings on the throne. It says that he gives us wisdom. And so this week, I want to give you some confidence of knowing God is in control of all things and, and, and everything that happens in this world. Even when it looks chaotic, God can bring order to it when we turn to him. But we've got to dethrone our gods. The reason we see what's happening is because we're leaving some gods up there and we're trying to live a life saying, God, where's the order? Meanwhile, we've taken him off the throne. And Genesis 1 says, keep God on the throne and there is order. Keep God on the throne and you are blessed. Keep God on the throne. Now, here's the last thing I want us to see is this isn't the only creation story. Okay, when you think about this week, you need to understand that there's another creation story in the Bible as well. And that's in John chapter one. It says this. 
In the beginning, that's Genesis would be the translation of that in Greek. In the beginning, or maybe it's Latin, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, the, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning, with, he was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him, not one thing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Understand that there's another creation, and that creation tells us, it gives us more glimpse, and that is that Jesus Christ is God on the throne. When we talk about that plurality of Elohim, Jesus is with God in the beginning. And when we talk about how we are going to go into a week like this where we know there might be some chaos, we know there might be some darkness. Can I get an amen? There might be some darkness. God has called us to be a light in the darkness. And John tells us that this light that can emit without a source says that it was with the men. He put it inside of us. We have this light inside of us when we have given our life to Christ, when we have taken off our gods and we have put Christ on the throne of our life. We have this life that we have this light. And so our job this week, you've got to understand, our job this week is that this hope that we have in Christ, that Christ is not only entering into his creation to create it, he entered into his creation to save it as well. He gave his life and he set things right by being a sacrifice on the cross for us. And when we put that crucified Christ on, on the throne of our lives, you've got to understand that's where we forgive our enemies. There's Jesus on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's where we get the power to do that. When we show mercy to those that don't deserve mercy, that's where we get the power to do it. What we've got to do as Christians is we can't just say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe that God is that powerful. We've got to take this message out. We've got to take this message of, you know what? God created the light and he put it inside of us when we have Jesus Christ. We've got to live that out actively this week. You have to forgive actively to your friends and neighbors and those that don't believe what you believe this week. You have to live it out this week. I'm telling you, Genesis 1 can change the world if it was by itself. The problem is some of us are just going to take this and say, I already knew that. But if you will take Genesis 1, and you'll begin to see, you know what, wisdom is in this book. I can look at these books and I can see these divine stories that God has put to give order to our life. And if I will put God on the throne, we will have hope in this world because God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Lord, my hope for this week is peace from chaos. Lord, my hope from this week is light from darkness. My hope from this week is that every single God that we look to in this country, whether it's a man, whether it's an idea, whether, whether it's power or authority, whether it's control in our own lives, Lord, I pray that you'll just begin to dethrone those in our own lives and us begin to say, you know what, all things are made through you. And so, Lord, I pray we will put you on the throne of our lives like never before the things we can't control. I can't control that. I'm even going to take a day off. I'm going to take a Sabbath, Lord. And I'm just going to say, you know what? The world is still going to spin. My day is still going to go because you are on the throne. You created this all and you blessed it. Lord, let us live in a relationship with you, your love, your purposes. And let us diligently, fervently dethrone the gods of our life. And Lord, I pray that as people encounter us this week, 
instead of finding anger and division and, and, and almost a, a, this is a lost cause mentality in this country, Lord, I pray that we will be the most optimistic people that anyone encounters this week. No matter what we believe politically or what we believe with all this social strife, I believe there will be an optimism this week that will change lives. And whenever ever anyone asks, what do you think about this? We'll be able to say, I think that God created the heavens and the earth and he is controlling the light and the darkness. And I believe even in this moment, God is at work in our life. Lord, I pray that the church will rise up this week and we will show them Genesis 1 and how you are. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.